Welcome to studentofthebible.com. I'm your host, Renee, and I'm a Bible student. I'm glad you are, too. Thank you so much for joining. Pray for discernment and ask God to show you how you can share this information with others and be a blessing. Welcome to my second podcast in my series on the Trinity. In our first podcast, we learned about the limitations of our English language when it comes to names for God. While we are unable in any language to fully capture his wonder and power and majesty, it was a worthwhile study, I hope you agree, to look at the Hebrew words describing the first part of the Trinity, God the Father. In our English Bibles, recall, we learned that when we see the word God, in Hebrew, it's actually Elohim, E-L-O-H-I-M, which is actually a plural word. We discuss the fact that God is the Elohim of Elohim. We acknowledge that the writers of the Bible were aware that others believed in gods as well. And so they knew the surrounding nations, because they believed in other gods, wanted to make it clear which god they were talking about. The creator god, the god of gods, the true god of true gods. We also discovered that when we read in our English Bible the word Lord, and it appears in all capital letters, well, it's kind of a placeholder for the special word for God that the Jewish people used. In their translation, they only used consonants, and we say that their word was Yahweh or Jehovah. But as we pointed out, this might not even have been the way they said God's name at all because God's name was too special to completely spell out or even say out loud. So it's just a placeholder, really, for this special name that in our Bibles is spelled all in upper capitals, L-O-R-D. And then finally, we discussed that when we read the word Lord, either all in lowercase or just with an uppercase L, this refers to the Hebrew word Adonai, A-D-O-N-A-I. It's actually pronounced Adonai or Adonai. And that word means master, so it doesn't always refer to God. We've been learning that this creator God had no beginning, and will have no end. He always was and always will be. And yeah, we acknowledge that this is a mystery to our finite brains and is one of the things we just accept based on faith in the Word of God. David, who wrote many of the Psalms in the Old Testament, admits how incredulous it is that someone so mighty would care about us. He writes this in Psalm 8, verses 3 through 4. When I look at the night sky and I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings, 
that you should care for them. Truly, who are we mere mortals that God should not only think about us, but care about us and love us so much that he would come to earth and humble himself in human form and then suffer death on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins just so that we can have a relationship with him forever without end. It's an incredible story. It's the love story of the Bible. In this podcast, we'll look at the second person of the Godhead who will come to earth and humble himself in human form to be physically with us, and then who will die for us, even though he was completely innocent, without blemish, without sin. God, the Son, Yeshua in Hebrew, which means deliverer or rescuer. Well, it's the equivalent, actually, of our name Joshua. But we say Jesus. So a quick aside, how did we get Jesus from that Hebrew word Yeshua? Why don't we say Joshua? Well, when Yeshua is translated into Greek, which is actually the original language of the New Testament, well, the Greek word for Yeshua is Jesusus. So, Jesusus, translated in English, is actually Jesus. Okay, what does the name Jesus mean? It means God is salvation. Matthew, in his gospel account of the virgin birth of Jesus, quotes the ancient prophet Isaiah, and he says, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. In this podcast, let's take a look at some of what are actually many Bible passages. We'll just look at some that help point us to the fact that Jesus is, in fact, God in human flesh, which makes him the second part of the Trinity, or the Godhead, as it's sometimes called. Now, if this idea is new to you, pray for discernment. Take some notes, look up the Bible verses, and then really pray and meditate on them to help you understand this amazing biblical truth of who Jesus is. So, we started by looking at Matthew, who refers us to a prophecy made by Isaiah 700 years before the birth of Jesus. He said, he prophesied, that a virgin would give birth to a son, and he would be called Emmanuel, which meant God with us. Matthew points out in his gospel that this has been fulfilled in the virgin birth of Jesus. Much of our study today will focus on John's gospel account of who Jesus is. In John's eighth chapter of his gospel, 
we find Jesus talking to the Pharisees about believing in the truth and that the truth will set them free. Now, the Jews who are listening to Jesus remind him they are descendants of Abraham and therefore God's chosen people and have never been slaves of anyone. So how could they possibly be set free? They sound a bit self-righteous, don't they? But I think we often approach the story of Jesus with the same attitude. What do we need to be saved from? We haven't murdered anyone. We haven't done anything that bad. Hmm. Let's see what Jesus has to say. This is in John chapter 8, verses 34 through 47. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We're not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet, because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The Pharisees, who, remember, are the learned Old Testament biblical scholars, they actually accuse Jesus of being demon-possessed. They refused to listen to what Jesus was saying to them about who he is. Therefore, Satan was going to use their stubbornness, their pride, and their prejudices to keep them from believing Jesus. And just so you know, that's what the enemy does. He's going to work on your fear, your uncertainty, and your doubt. 
listen to the fear and doubt in the Jewish audience's words. And then I want you to just rejoice at how Jesus answers them. This story is continued, John chapter 8, verses 54 through 59. Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not 50 years old, they said to him, and yet you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. John 8, verse 58, is one of the most powerful statements made by Jesus, and the Jewish crowd could not accept it, and they tried to stone him. So I'm going to reread this, and this is what Jesus says. Very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus tells him he was around before Abraham. Now, that's quite a claim since he's standing in front of them, and he's probably about 30 years old. But the more shocking claim is what follows. Jesus says he is the I am. That was one of the names for God that we learned in our first podcast. I am is the name for God eternal. No beginning, no end, no genealogy, no family history. He is the I am. Jesus is saying to his Jewish audience, who fully well knows the Old Testament story of God telling Moses that he is the I am, Jesus is the same I am who spoke to Moses. This is the claim he is making, that he, in fact, had no origin, no beginning. I'm going to stop here for a moment and ask you to reflect on this statement, because it really requires a response, doesn't it? How does it make you feel? Would you be one to also pick up a stone ready to throw it at Jesus, the blasphemer? Or would you be falling on your knees in reverence to the great I am? There's a story told in John's gospel in chapter four about Jesus speaking to a Samaritan woman at the well. Oh, this is such a great story. Jesus uses the water in the well as a metaphor to describe the living water that can be received from him. So the Samaritan woman doesn't immediately understand what he's saying, but she does continue to ask Jesus questions, seeking understanding, for example, about where her people should worship. Jesus responds to her in John chapter 4, verses 23 through 26. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father 
in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Wow. Well, Jesus shared this life-changing news with this sinful woman that he was the Messiah, and she immediately ran to tell the people of her town this good news. And John tells us in his gospel that because of this woman, many Samaritans came to believe in Jesus. And just an aside, remember, the Samaritans were a group of people who lived in a land called Samaria in northern Israel. And they were half Jewish and half Gentile, and therefore not really well-liked by the Jews. The Gospel writer John wants his audience to know that Jesus is God. This was his whole purpose in writing his Gospel. Remember, John was one of the 12 chosen disciples of Jesus. He spent three years living and eating and serving beside Jesus. And so he wants his audience to know that God has revealed himself to us with the most clarity and detail in the person of Jesus. So John's gospel isn't a play-by-play on the life of a guy named Jesus. Instead, his gospel is kind of like an argument for what we call the incarnation, God in flesh. John declares Jesus is the living, breathing, flesh and blood, human presentation of God. Now, to John's Jewish and Greek audience, he opens this gospel with a super powerful statement. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Okay, I know from personal experience that when I have often read this, my response was, what? (laughs) What is John talking about? John is declaring that this person, Jesus, was around before time, in the beginning. And then he uses this word, word, W-O-R-D. And it was a phrase that was known to his audience, and it meant an agent of creation. In Greek, the word is logos, L-O-G-O-S. And to his audience, John is trying to express that Jesus is the idea of God and the expression of God distinct 
from God, and yet God himself. Honestly, John's not trying to be obtuse. His audience would have understood this powerful statement, but also it was a very shocking statement. And then John, a few sentences later, boldly declares, the word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. That's John 1, 14. Now, with this super bold opening statement, John in his gospel makes it clear Jesus is not just a man, but is the eternal Son of God. And this same eternal God became flesh, and because he is God himself, he is able to help us more fully understand God. Speaking of Jesus, John writes in his gospel, no one's ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's side. He has revealed God to us. John is reminding his audience that just like in the Old Testament, no one's actually gotten to see God face to face. But what's he saying? Through Jesus, God reveals his essence and his nature in a way that could be seen and touched. This is so remarkable. Paul, he told the Colossians in his letter, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Well, then Jesus brings this point home when he speaks to one of his disciples, Philip. And this was recorded by John in John chapter 14, verse 9. Have I been with you this whole time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Isn't this just remarkable? I continue to be awestruck by the fact that God humbled himself to become human for us. Yeah, well, we tend to be reminded of this fact at Christmas time when we sing carols and reflect on his humble birth in a manger among the animals. It's a humility beyond words that the Creator really did this for us. It's not just a bedtime story. Paul talks about this again in his letter to the Philippians. This is Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name 
that is above every other name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, I know it's not good to have favorites, but I really, really love Jesus's disciple Peter. Now, I've mentioned this before, but I strongly encourage you to watch the series called The Chosen. You can even download the app for free. The director has just so wonderfully brought to life the disciples, and I particularly like the way they depict Matthew and Peter. Peter, (laughs) he doesn't mince words in the Bible. Look, he was an eyewitness to who Jesus was. He's not gullible and naive. I think he's extremely relatable. Now, in Peter's second letter, he was really writing from his heart. This letter may have been written from Rome, and it may have actually been shortly before his death. He was not one to just say what people wanted to hear, but he called it like he saw it. Listen to who Peter says Jesus is. This, again, is Second Peter Chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you by the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you would do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Peter's making it clear in a way that only Peter can make clear that everyone needs to pay attention to the prophecies concerning Jesus because this guy, Jesus, is the guy all the prophets talked about. This guy, Jesus, is God's son. John, in chapter 10 of his gospel, tells of another time when Jesus is trying to explain to the Jews who he was and Once again, they couldn't accept the truth, and they wanted to stone him. Kind of seems to be their go-to move when they don't like what's being said. This is in John chapter 10, verses 24 through 39. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus told them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I will give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than I, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones to stone him. 
Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. From which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered, it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said, you are God's. Now, this is my aside. Jesus is referring to Psalm 82 and also in Exodus chapter 4, where the Israelite rulers are called gods with a lowercase g because they're acting as God's agents. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. Here Jesus is trying to explain that he is in a unique relationship of oneness with the Father and that it is through God that these miracles are being performed that they're witnessing before their very eyes. Jesus himself calls God his Father, as recounted by John in chapter 5, verse 17. He says, my Father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. He then continues, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Then John continues to quote Jesus. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whoever is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So John quotes Jesus talking about God, his Father, who sent him to earth. He then talks about how important it is to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, sent to earth by God for the forgiveness of all sin so that all who believe may have eternal life. This is continued in John chapter 5, verses 24 through 30. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. 
and he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. Don't be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Now, in the Old Testament, there were three signs that needed to be fulfilled to know that this truly was the Messiah. All power and authority had to be given to him by God. The sick would be healed and the dead would be raised to life. John in his gospel shows Jesus fulfilled all three of those signs. Yet, Jesus knew many who said they knew the scriptures would not believe he was who he said he was. John continues this in chapter 5, verses 31 through 47. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There's another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you don't believe in the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you will have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him? How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But... Since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? The Pharisees were law followers, and their hero was Moses, and they tried to follow the ancient laws, but honestly, they missed the point. Moses wrote about the coming Messiah, and yet here he was right in front of them, and they refused to believe him. So Jesus' point is that they were so involved in religion. They knew the rules, but they missed the point. They missed Christ, 
who was standing right before them. Who is Jesus? Well, one of the disciples, Thomas, exclaimed when he saw Jesus after the resurrection, and he was able to actually see and touch the marks from the cross. He says, my Lord and my God, Elohim, Yahweh, Adonai, my master, my Lord, my God of true gods. We're going to end this podcast looking again at the Gospel of John. This is in John 14, 1 through 7. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Many look at God as angry, vengeful, judgmental. Honestly, he's quite the opposite. Consider what he did for us just so that we can be with him forever. John 3, 16 through 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But Whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This week, rather than judging others for their beliefs, be the light. Let your light shine before them so that they may see how much better it is to live in the light for they'll know we are Christians by our love. Have a blessed day.